Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hey, it's Vic. Just so you know, there's some strong language in this episode. Please be advised. In three, two, one. This time on Back From Broken, I decided to do something different. The 47-year wait is over! The Denver Nuggets stand on top of the NBA world! They are champions! And Nuggets fans from sea to shining sea can rest or die in peace. I was inside Denver's ball arena the night this happened, surrounded by screaming Nuggets fans going out of their minds over the team's first ever championship. I was one of them. I mean, I've been cheering for the Nuggets since I was a little boy and suffered through many losing seasons. But this time, they actually won. I tweeted a video of myself trying to put this moment into words. I am so happy for the Denver Nuggets. I'm so happy for my city. And I'm just so happy for the fans who have, who have waited for this moment for like the last five decades. And I'm happy for myself. You know, I've been through a lot. I, I had a lot of health struggles. And I struggle with addiction. And um, I'm alive. I'm alive to see this moment. And uh, this is so much fun. I'm so happy. I love you. Why was I crying? Why was this such an emotional, even spiritual moment for me? Because I was alive to see it. Because in the months leading up to this game, I could have died. I almost didn't get to witness my Nuggets make history because of the biggest health scare I've ever had in my life. It was an illness that came from left field. I didn't see it coming at all. And it made me rethink everything. I'm forced to think about my work as a newscaster and weekend edition host, waking up at 5 a.m. on a Saturday and Sunday, playing the Dave Brubeck Quartet's All the Things You Are, which is something I do every morning as I prepare for the show. Democratic bills that protects abortion. Then, going on the air. You're listening to NPR News. And good morning. You're listening to CPR News and KRCC. I'm Vic Vela. It's good to be back on the air after a little bit of a break. Uh, And of course, I step away for one weekend and spring becomes winter. Yeah, lots of heavy snow with this storm. Caused a lot of power outages uh, and there's fallen tree branches all over the place. I've already overcome so much in my life. I'm a recovering crack cocaine addict. I've overdosed more times than I can remember. I have HIV and survived a near AIDS diagnosis. Now, this. It was just an ordinary day and a routine trip to the doctor. The shock of that moment has really stayed with me. 
And from that day on, I've been struggling to come to terms with my new reality. How do I stay sober when life gets completely turned upside down? I'm Vic Vela. I'm a journalist, a storyteller, and a recovering drug addict. And this is Back From Broken from Colorado Public Radio. Stories about the highest highs, the darkest moments, and what it takes to make a comeback. So let me talk about why I wanted to do this audio diary. In the first season of Back From Broken, you heard me talk about how I suffered through addiction and ultimately got the help I needed. But now I think it's important to talk about how in sobriety and in recovery, we must live life on life's terms. How I navigate a crisis without shooting a needle full of dope into my arm. The day that everything changed seemed ordinary. It was a regular trip to the doctor's office for some routine blood work. But after I left, I got an urgent call from my doctor about my blood sugar levels. They were so high, I could have easily fallen into a coma or even died. It turned out I was walking around with undiagnosed, untreated, full-blown diabetes. I was totally shocked. And at that moment, my life completely changed. My doctors still don't really know how things got so bad so quickly. I had COVID in November, and it's likely that that caused things that were already going inside my body to escalate. My blood sugar, my cholesterol was through the roof, even my T-cell count, which had been in good shape for the last 16 years after my HIV diagnosis, was starting to plummet. In my first diary after the diagnosis, I poured out a lot of emotions. I'm really freaking out. Uh, I... uh... My eyesight is, is going, and uh, that, that is, that's likely a complication of the diabetes that got out of control, that spun out of control over the last month or so that just totally has upended my life. So now I go from living my normal life to seeing all these doctors and specialists all the time. I worry about the foods I eat, and I stick myself with needles every day. I need insulin to survive. I feel like Mr. Magoo, you know, it's, it's just, um, it's just another thing I'm dealing with on top of everything else. My blood sugar has just been through the roof over the last few months, if not more. Um, and that's definitely taking, taking a toll on my body, on my mood, obviously on my eyesight and, and everything. And we're, I'm, start, I'm using insulin for the first time in my life, which is very humbling. And we're still trying to figure out the right dosage because even, even as we up my insulin do- dosage throughout the day, the blood sugar is still high. And um, it's really frustrating, you know? And uh, um, it's just a lot. Uh, I'm dealing with a lot right now. And, um, you know, thank God I'm sober. Thank God, even as I'm talking and leaving this voice memo, I, I'm smoking crack is not even 
uh, on the list. It's not even in my mind. And, and for that, I'm really grateful, but you know, I, I am, I try not to feel resentment over the fact that I've, I've already survived so much. And, and sometimes I, when I get caught up in negative thoughts, I sometimes say, God, you know, what else do you want me to overcome? I've overcome addiction. I've overcome overdoses. I've overcome HIV, nearly full blown AIDS. You know, I've, I've overcome COVID. I've overcome so many health issues. And now I'm dealing with diabetes and eyesight issues. And what else do you want from me? Like, what else am I supposed to do here? I, I need, I could really use some grace and, um, uh, yeah, it's, um, it's not fun. It's, it's really, I'm trying to stay positive, but it's, it's hard. I recorded a lot of these kinds of diaries as I struggled with things like my eyesight. Um, it's eight o'clock, uh, 8.30 here on a Sunday evening. And uh, uh, my eyesight is uh, even worse than a, than a fucking bat in a black hole like it's just i uh, i can't see i can't see Yeah, my hero. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a deadhead, right? Uh, there's I'm I'm in my kitchen and I'm looking at a big, you know, full framed poster of Jerry Garcia, and uh, you know I'm a I'm a huge deadhead. Jerry, he did, he was a, a longtime heroin addict, but he also had uncontrollable diabetes. You know, he, at one point in the 1980s, he fell into a coma, a diabetic coma. Uh, so, I mean, and he died, you know, um, not far from how old I am now. And if, and if I were doing the same things he was, there's no doubt about it. I'd be fucking dead. And, um, and, and listen, it's frustrating. I'm, I'm, you know, there's, there's people who, 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 who think I'm some Buddha who sits on top of a hill and like, I was back from broken and, you know, oh, you must have all your shit together. Uh, no, I have my shit together a lot better than I did when I was using drugs, but I have problems just like everyone else does. And it's not easy. It's frustrating. At moments like this, you turn to your family. Both my mom and dad have diabetes, so they know how to help. When, when you're faced with, with something life-altering, um, it can put you in a really reflective place. And, um, you know, but I, my family's here, my, my mom and dad. It, it's nice. They just, it, they're 45 minutes away and that's really nice, you know, to be able to see them. And 
Um, and they have diabetes too, so they're really helpful in terms of helping me navigate all this. They've been actually, I mean, they're like, they're better, they're actual, they're better than health experts because they are actually going through it every day. So when those early days where I was like, how much insulin should I be taking? My dad's like, uh, we'll take this amount and take, we'll try this. And he was, it was his advice really that helped me get my insulin to, you know, the right places. One of the things I learned about diabetes is how it affects my moods. I'm already someone who has long struggled with behavioral issues. I can get really quiet and moody, but I could also have an explosive temper. With diabetes, out-of-control blood sugar can make me feel like I'm always on a short fuse. And in April, it blew. When my blood sugar spikes and I'm fed up with being sick and tired of being sick and tired, you know, I'll lash out or, you know, do something stupid or say something stupid and, uh, you know, throw, uh, you know, throw, throw the, the remote control against the wall or something like that, you know. Um, there was this um, incident at a grocery store recently. Where I was, this this guy. It's a huge pet peeve of mine. Where this, where where people when they when they're exiting out of a lane, they don't stop. They just keep going. Like it's like, do people drive that way? That's scary. And this guy almost hit my cart and cut me off. He wasn't paying attention. And I said, dude, you almost cut me off there. You almost hit hit me. And he just looked at me and didn't acknowledge it. And I said, fuck you, buddy. You're just going to ignore me? And then he stopped in his tracks and went face to face with me and said, what did you say to me? I said, I think I, I, you heard what I just said to you. So here are these, these two like idiots going back and forth, cursing at each other in the middle of Safeway. These little old ladies just picking fruit in the produce section, looking at us like we're <laughs> like monsters. And, you know, it, we almost came to blows in the middle of the day on a random Tuesday at the damn grocery store because I was reacting in a way that I maybe wouldn't have reacted if I wasn't feeling bad. Recording a diary has forced me to analyze myself. I mean, I've always thought I've had a pretty good self-awareness around the things I do well and the things I struggle with. And I'm not going to pretend that I'm some perfect human being and that I sit on top of a mountain listening to the sound of music. Fuck that. I know I have a lot of issues. I have a lot of rough edges. I mean a lot. And I always thought my quick temper was just who I am. But then looking back, I realized that it's something my dad and I share. I'm my, I'm my father's son. My dad explodes. My dad will curse at the TV at the Broncos game and, and throw a fit and 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 get you know he used to get he was a troublemaker in high school as well and getting fights and he went to the army he coached football and taught me to toughen up and suck it up and so that's my dad and i take very much after my dad it feels like my hot temper is like the chicken and egg scenario how much of our explosive nature is caused by undiagnosed untreated medical issues like diabetes or are we just like this just looking at the similarities between my dad and me makes me wonder. He was a popular kid in high school. He went to state and wrestling, went to the army. 
you know, he's, he was a community activist. My dad was on TV a lot. He led marches. You know, he was the community. He started this group called El Comite, the committee, which was worked to help bridge relationships between uh, brown communities and immigrant communities with the local police. And it led to better relations with those, those groups of people. And it's still in existence today. So, um, I get a lot of that stuff from my dad. He's also the guy who will, people are drawn to him and his personality. Uh, but he also has demons and I have those same demons with, he was, cause he drank a lot and I drank a lot and I did a lot of drugs and, and he was quick tempered and I'm quick tempered. So my, I wish I had more of my mom, but you know, I love my dad. Making these audio diaries really helped me think about what's important in life, family and friends. And after the break, I discover how difficult it is to make the right decision all the time. Hey, it's Vic. I really appreciate you being a back from broken listener. It means a lot. Now, can you do me a favor? Can you take a moment to find Back From Broken on whatever podcast app you use, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and give us a like, a rating, and even a review? If you think what we're doing matters, if you think it's important to talk about recovery with compassion and hope, all you got to do to help spread the word is like, rate, or review this podcast. It really does help other people find Back From Broken. Thanks for listening. And thanks for supporting podcasts from Colorado Public Radio. Diabetes has changed my whole life. Obviously, I had to adapt to new foods and stick to a super nutritious diet. And I did what the doctor said for the most part. I learned how to use insulin and started to empty my cupboards and threw away a lot of sugary snacks and temptations. But it wasn't easy, as my producer and I discovered. I still have fucking hostess shit and (laughs) trail mix and SpaghettiOs. Most of the things I own have cartoon characters on them in terms of food, which that's probably a bad, a red flag. You know, so that's still a lot of carb stuff. I'm, I'm still learning. Some of this stuff has just been there for a while. No, but look at look at this uh, all this uh, insulin. I have more insulin in my refrigerator than food. It's pretty amazing. Oh my god! Isn't that something? Yeah. Um, that's how it works. You know, you 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 just uh, you get all these insulin pens, and I, I'm grateful that that they're pens and not like um, vials and syringes. I because that can trigger. You know, that's a trigger for drug use. But there are some days when I just want to fucking eat whatever I want. (laughs) Look, I'm from a huge Chicano family. Food is culture. It's our identity. Now I have to navigate family events that are filled with my mom's home-cooked green chili and enchiladas that are to die for. And it's suddenly sinking in that this changes forever. And I can't just sit around eating my mom's tortillas every day. Too many carbs, too much sugar. And I gotta say, I'm feeling a little resentful over that. 
I remember feeling really depressed about it when I was eating a donut back in April. It wasn't like this all-in-one, oh, I have to totally upend my life. I was eating a donut and I'm like, shit, do I, I can't do this anymore. Can I not have this donut anymore? And then that kind of triggered something else in me, the fed up part of, God, I quit cocaine, I quit alcohol, like I've done so much quitting already, smoking. Why, God, do I have to quit this simple thing, like this, these foods, like carbs and sugar? And I just kind of felt cheated. I just felt so angry at God. Uh, I was angry at my doctors for finding this information. <laughs> and, um, I was, um, you know, angry at genetics because diabetes runs in my family. And it, I mean, so many people in my family have it. Then at the end of April, I got a devastating phone call from my mom. She found my cousin dead inside his apartment. Well, you guys get some rest, mom, please. Please get some rest, okay? Just don't, oh, yeah. don't overdo it. And um, I'm going to eat something here. I haven't eaten yet today. so. Um, but I'll talk, I'll talk to you guys soon. I love you. Love you too, baby. You. As I hung up the phone, I suddenly felt a little unmoved from reality. I just learned that my cousin had died and my mom discovered the body. The image of that just made me think. Could I do that to my mom? I reached out for my phone to record my thoughts. I'm trying to think of the best way to put this. I don't want my mom to find me dead. Anyone else can find me dead, but not my mom. So, I, will t I need to take care of myself. Right, because I don't, it would, it would absolutely devastate her. My mom was really close to my cousin. He would sometimes call into Spanish radio stations and dedicate songs to her, like this one. Now, I didn't know my cousin super well. We weren't that close. Coming from a Mexican-American family, I have lots of cousins, aunts, and uncles, and I myself am an uncle a million times over. I was mainly hurt because my mom was really suffering, and it's really hard to see your mom suffer. And the thing that really threw me for a loop was that my cousin died after struggling with drugs, alcohol, and diabetes. I needed to get a lot of this shit off my chest. So I called a close friend. In terms of devastating, like, it's like there's so much devastating stuff. Like, I just forget <laughs> to mention other devastating stuff. Um, the, my, uh, my cousin died. Oh, recently. wow. And I, I, I wasn't, I, I knew him, of course, and we're, we're blood. And so, and so it's obviously painful for the family, but I, it's my mom in particular was really close to him and mm. he had a lot of issues and he, he died of natural causes, but he lived a life where he really struggled. 
And it's, yeah, so it contributed. All that bad stuff contributed to. Yeah. I mean, he, he was only like I think fifty-two. Oof. Um, and it was my mom who was checking on him. You know, mm-hmm. and and she couldn't get him to answer the phone, so the police showed up. And then when they showed up, mm-hmm. and they walk in and they walk out and they go to my mom and say, oh, yeah, "We're yeah. sorry, but he's he's gone." Um, and my, you know, and, and my mom it was the person she never get, you know, she never gave up on him. Like his his mom died, and it really broke him and his brother, and and so he kind of my mom kind of became a surrogate mom for him and his brother. And, but they just struggled, man. They had, they just had some, you know, fucking in and out of jail, drinking. Uh, you know, yeah. just that could have been you. Yeah. Absolutely could have been dude. Like five years ago, even. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like, Jesus, you know, I wasn't it's... immune to this stuff. That conversation with a close friend who had been there for me in addiction and recovery was exactly the thing I needed to do to find my spiritual footing. This is how recovery works. When you're struggling, you call someone and you talk about it. And and that's where gratitude comes in and it's all back to recovery. It's like, you know, when I would when I'd be like 4 months sober and complaining to my sponsor about how things are going that day. He just cuts me off. He's like, where's your gratitude? <laughs> I'm like, fuck you. I don't have anything to be grateful about right now. I'm pissed off. And, and uh, he's like, where's your gratitude? And then yeah. I start thinking of the things I'm grateful for. And then all of a sudden I'm okay. I, I, I can handle it. Like I'm, I wear a patch, a sensor on my stomach that monitors my blood sugar. So, mm-hmm. and I could just look up on my phone what my blood sugar is right now um which is a huge modern advancement and (laughs) um you know and and things like that and um you know hiv i mean you don't have to uh, all the people who i when when i caught hiv it was it was the it was the same it was in the same month that the very first triple like all in one pill medication came out. Wow. As opposed to, you know, taking all these cocktails throughout the day. Yeah. Wow. And I got on it right away. And how am I not grateful for that considering how many people died to get us there? Yeah. I felt a lot better after talking to friends and family about the things I was going through. And like I have so many times before in recovery, I turned to music as medicine. I was listening to a song called In the Hands of Angels from Leon Russell and Elton John. It's about how Leon thanked Elton for giving him new life by making a new album together called The Union. The song spoke to everything I was going through. Well, I could have been sick. I could have died. I could have given up and I tried to make it to tomorrow like a broken heart in love. 
I just started crying. It, it was really emotional. And I started to draw on my inner strength to pull myself out of this hole, slowly but surely. I started to pay attention to my daily routine a lot more. For me, it starts first thing in the morning. So every day I wake up and the first thing I do before I even get out of bed is say the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. I say that before I do anything to start the day, and I say that several times throughout the day. And so when I say the serenity prayer, I close my eyes, and I don't just recite the lines. I take breaths. I, I, I focus on my breath in and out, in between the lines. So it's like, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Staying calm is really important, but reaching out and talking to friends in recovery is also pivotal. I need the support of people who love me. This was my last diary entry. Nowadays, my, my recovery mostly looks, looks more like community outside of meetings. So for example, um, Thursday or coming up here, I'm going to a Nuggets game with a friend of mine who I, we got sober basically at the same time and we've been recovery friends together. So it's, it's hanging out with other people in recovery as just regular human beings would and then talking about our issues if need be saying, you know, while we're rooting for the home team, we're also saying, Hey, you know, I felt like drinking the other night or something like that. Right. Um, it's also staying in touch with mentors and mentors and friends in recovery over the phone. I'm on the phone a lot, uh, talking about, uh, recovery, checking in with friends who are in recovery, friends checking in with me. Um, and a lot of it isn't so much talking through things like, um, I, I really feel like getting high today because those days are few and far between, thank God, because um, the craving is long past. It's more along the lines of I'm struggling at work today. The boss is being, you know, a jerk today, someone, a friend might say. And I might say something like, I'm having a bad health day, like my blood sugar is off. And the reason why that's important and, and how that ties into recovery is that everything is connected. Like if my blood sugar is off and I'm not feeling good and uh, I mouth off to someone in traffic, that could get me in trouble with the law. And in turn, I may beat myself up by taking the thing that makes all the pain go away. And that's, you know, drugs and alcohol. So so those are the everyday things I talk about. In that last diary entry, I mentioned going to Nuggets games. That brings us back to the playoffs. I went to every Nuggets home game in the postseason. And as I was feeling better physically, Denver just kept winning and winning. Unbelievable. 
The Denver Nuggets are absolutely kicking Phoenix's ass. And I love every minute of it. On Monday, June 12, 2023, the Denver Nuggets were one win away from winning the NBA Finals. I had a premonition that morning, and I included it in a feature story I told for CPR News. The morning of Game 5, I was really emotional. I've been a Nuggets fan my entire life, and before every game, I hang a Nuggets flag outside my house. And as soon as I hung it, I walk in and Goodbye Yellow Brick Road is playing on my Pandora station. I can't think of a better sign for today, and I'm getting totally choked up over this. Today's the day. Let's win a championship today. Go Nuggets! Later that week, there was a Nuggets victory parade in Denver. I wasn't going to go originally. I was so exhausted from the playoffs. But a person with a lot of pool in this city arranged for me to ride on top of a fire truck in the parade. I was in the Nuggets victory parade. Can you believe it? We're almost to Union Station. It's an exuberant crowd, to say the least. It's a beautiful day in Denver. It's a beautiful day for a championship parade. Go Nuggets! I almost died, and here I am riding in a victory parade alongside my favorite Nuggets players. My gosh, what is life? (laughs) I know I can absolutely survive this. I absolutely can thrive. I can't always control what goes on inside of me. But the things I can control, well, I have the recovery tools and doctors and friends and family to do so. After all, I'm in the hands of angels. (laughs) 
Back From Broken is a show about how we're all broken sometimes and how we need help from time to time. If you're struggling with addiction or mental health issues, you can find a list of resources at our website, backfrombroken.org. Thanks for listening to Back From Broken. Please review the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. It helps other people find it. Back From Broken is hosted by me, Vic Vela. It's a production of Colorado Public Radio's Audio Innovation Studio and CPR News. Our lead producer today was Joe Erickson. This episode was mixed by Kibway Cooper. Find a list of all the folks who worked hard to make this episode in the show notes. This podcast is made possible by Colorado Public Radio members. Learn about supporting Back From Broken at CPR.org.